Chris Redfield. Jill Valentine. Barry Burton. Rebecca Chambers. Albert Wesker. Resident Evil. Hey everyone, welcome to a Waypoint Plus podcast where this is a little special uh, treat. We are, as you know, hopefully you know, if you don't, you should be going to twitch.tv slash waypoint uh, or youtube.com slash waypointvice. This is me remembering all the URLs and spooling out of my brain uh, at once. Uh, as uh, Rob Zachney and I have been, well for him the first time, for me who knows how many times, depending on which version of Resident Evil uh, you're counting, uh, playing through the original Resident Evil, which I guess for semantic purposes, no, it is not the original PlayStation 1. It is the the remake uh, that was uh, released subsequently. Uh, Resident Evil fans have been up in my mentions mentioning that, no, that is not the original. I get it. 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 Um, but we're replaying through that and it has been a joy to watch Rob uh, play it for the first time. And um, as part of, you know, what we're doing with these Waypoint 101s, where we're replaying um, some older games, uh, revisiting some older games, uh, we wanted to do a little bit more. And part of that is bringing in outsiders uh, from uh, outside the Waypoint community. And today, my guest is Alexander Yell, who is the co-founder of Brainwave Productions, a record label for video game music in Japan, the Japanese business manager for Limited Run Games, a company focused on releasing physical versions of games in an increasingly digital world. Uh, and for the purposes of today's podcast, the author of Itchy Tasty, An Unofficial History of Resident Evil, a book about the now 20-plus year history of Capcom's uh, horror franchise. So thanks for joining me, Alexander. Hey, nice to be here. Thanks, Patrick. Uh, yeah, it's it's been like I was mentioning to you before we started recording that, um, you know, I, I, I'm revisiting the original or this the remake, um, which I guess for a lot of people is now canonically the original <laughs> because because it is it is possible to play that original game for the PlayStation one. But I think for a lot of people, like the way they successfully updated that game that has kind of become the the original if you're going to start the franchise from scratch. And so uh, for, for me, revisiting it has been fascinating just because I've forgotten all of the tiny ways that it plays with the expectations of nostalgia and folks that have an institutional memory of, of Resident Evil. Um, and I just don't know that I've you, you've seen anything quite like it. Usually remakes are, are so focused on people who are new. And this one is, is somehow straddles this line between the new and the old in a way that is it's truly a, a, a delight. Um, and so it's been a lot of fun to to revisit that game. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was definitely the intention of the creators of the remake. Um, there was only a six-year gap between the two games, which seems really short. You know, <laughs> these days that these days. these days a game well, these days a game can take six years to make. Whereas, you know, like rereading your book and you know, it was uh sometimes wild to remember that like games were frequently made in less than a year. Or a year, like Resident Evil Two, taking two full years. <laughs> what was like was. Seen, was seen as as like a problem was seen as like a production failure. Um, Absolutely, and it's just it's just it's just wild how six years now is 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 not surprising for a AAA game that is maybe rebooted once internally. Um, but back then, well, you should have made five sequels in that six. Right, years. <laughs> right, yeah. And I think that's how many games did come out in the first five years of five or six years of Resident Evil. Right, you know. One, two, three, remake, and zero. Code Veronica, right? So 
it's a lot of a lot of stuff used to come out so frequently and now now we're lucky to get well nowadays it's not too bad we seem to get a new resident evil game once every 12 to 18 months at this point which is quite nice but that's obviously a very concerted kind of effort by capcom to make sure the pipeline is flowing regularly but yeah i mean it's it's just very fascinating to look at resident evil 1 remake even today even even with other remakes having come out and and having i guess expanded that definition of what it is to remake a resident evil game or any video game i do i do believe that the first remake of resident evil is definitely one that set a lot of precedents and i think it's it's very much well loved because of just how well uh it turned out what is so fascinating to see it contrasted against this this modern era of Capcom and Resident Evil where um like you said they've now kind of settled like like Capcom a pre Monster Hunter world and then a Capcom post Monster Hunter world like feels like a company firing on all cylinders like creatively at the top of their game RE7 comes out you know in the same in the same era and now they've settled into this cadence where they've managed to they have so much history in Resident Evil that they can find ways to successfully mine that past and that nostalgia reinvent it in new ways uh, while also, you know, taking the series forward with games like RE7 and Resident Evil Village. Um, and what's what's fascinating about that, that original remake is that we just got their approach to Resident Evil 2, which, you know, in many ways, ha- like, ser- shares some stylistic uh, design uh, choices in which you are really trying to recapture quite a bit of that original feel, um, but does away, obviously, with you know, pre-rendered backgrounds, fixed camera angles. Um, and yet, uh, you know, as someone that, you know, uh, spends a lot of their youth playing the Resident Evil games, like Resident Evil 2 successfully sort of did a thing that's very hard, I think, which is when I think back in about what my experience of playing Resident Evil 2 was, uh, rather than actually revisiting it and, and confronting the, the, the ravages of time and how things, uh, you know, actually looked back then, that's in my mind's eye what it was like to play Resident Evil 2 and then to revisit it in the form that Capcom brought it brought it back in was really cool and fascinating. And I have to imagine that if they were, inevitably they will revisit the original game and it will probably not, the, you know, the pre-rendered backgrounds with the real-time lighting will probably not be the approach uh, that they take. Um, but it is but it is exciting to see um, how they've decided, like, what are the things that are, quote-unquote, essential to a Resident Evil game when when revisiting it and and having RE2 and this this you know that original uh, RE1 remake right next to each other like shows you know in some ways the generational differences in in design and philosophy and technology um but also just uh, you know uh, almost a certain confidence that Capcom has like actually we can take some bigger choices with Resident Evil 2 and know we're still going to deliver like the soul of what that game was and made it successful and and exciting yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I mean, there's also the Resident Evil 3 remake, which is another style in and of itself. So Capcom right. has remade three Resident Evil games in three very different ways. And <laughs> yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. And some, you know, depending on who you ask, you know, some turned out better than others. Um, but I do I do think that there is a special thing to be said about the remake of the first game because it, in my opinion, it's not fundamentally that different from the original game. I just feel like they were able to unleash a lot of their original ideas with the better hardware and the better graphics. And I, I think 
with Resident Evil 2, it was a much different challenge in terms of having to not just remake the game to be better and more modern, but to reinvent it to be to have that, you know, Resident Evil 2 Raccoon City police station set up, you know, with Leon and Claire palatable to modern audiences, because a lot of the people playing the remake of number two were probably not born or were too young <laughs> to play the original. Whereas with the first game, not enough time had passed for in my in my view, like an like a complete audience change. I would imagine right. a lot of the people who did play remake one when they came out on GameCube weren't really Nintendo fans, but were probably fans of the original game and and were dedicated enough to the franchise to want to go back to it. And I I think you know, you know, there are rumors of a Resident Evil 4 remake coming out as well, or whatever game they want to go to next. And it's going to be interesting to see if one of those three approaches that they've done so far is the one that they go with for RE4, or if that's like another thing altogether. But yeah, even as you said, maybe the one they revisit the original game again, Resident Evil 1 again, and try to remake that. Um, but I can't, I can't imagine any remake being as impactful as the GameCube one. Um, short of maybe a VR game again, or right. you know something of that ilk. But even then, I think with gaming so pervasive now and so common, right? It's it's very hard to truly surprise people these days. Uh, I think that's definitely the case. But you know, I think it sounds like you and I both were very surprised by the original Resident Evil. I read about um, half of your book mm. yesterday, which in, in you know in in part touches on your sort of like origin story with Resident Evil. But for folks who haven't Red, um, you know, itchy tasty. Like, what is? How did you encounter Resident Evil? Um, or did did you encounter it as Biohazard uh, <laughs> first? Like, That's... where 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 do you and this franchise start? So my first game was Code Veronica, hence the name. Wow. Okay. Wow. Hence... That is a unique, yeah, a, a unique entry point. I, I was I, hmm. I started with RE One and then was obsessed with like new issues of EGM showing blurry TGS screenshots of. Right, uh, code, code Veronica leading up, leading up to its release. So that is that's that's fascinating. Yeah. How, how did I think how how did Code Veronica become the, the entryway? I think it it just came down to how old I was when mm. Resident Evil first came out. So I I was born in '87, so I would have been nine years old when the first Resident Evil game came out, and I don't think I owned a PlayStation at that time. I think I was too young as well to really be into that kind of game. So what you're saying is I, I am two, I am two years older than you, only 85. Hmm. So maybe my parents were like wildly irresponsible, allowing me to take home <laughs> Resident, Resident Evil, which I then subsequently played with uh, my friends. Like the way I played it was I I was the person holding the controller. Right. I had two best friends that uh, our, my parents' house was the house that uh, was around the corner from our middle school bus stop that mm. dropped us all off, and so we'd usually go to my house, have snacks. And I always, being the video game guy, had all the newest stuff, and I did have Resident Evil. And so my progress in Resident Evil was very uh, short because it would be like, how much can I fit into the 45 minutes or an hour before my friends have to go home uh, for, for dinner and homework? And that's that's what I would fit in. Uh, my <laughs> So it's like one ink ribbon at a time. I would I'd make progress in the mansion um, before my, my friends had to leave. Wow, that would have that sounds like a title to a sequel book I might write. Maybe I should give you credit. One ink ribbon at a time. I love that. But it's ironic. All, all the Resident Evil games that are covered after <laughs> after the the after my book don't use ink ribbons. 
Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, so what? So what? What did you find interesting about Code Veronica? Um, well, like what? What appe- appealed to you so, about it? Because now you know, looking back, that game is almost uh, uh, is is pretty is looked at very uh, differently, I think, by the fan base uh, 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 as a kind of an interesting outlier uh, game. Yeah, in a lot of ways it is, in a lot of ways it isn't, I would argue. Um, but yeah, basically I got into Code Veronica because I was already old enough to at least take notice of all the different survival horror games out there. And the first survival horror game I actually played was not any Resident Evil game, it was Silent Hill. And that mm. came out in 99. I loved Silent Hill a lot. And when I played that game, I became very enamored with the idea of survival horror. But at that time, there was only one Silent Hill game. I'd also bought a Dreamcast around that time. So, you know, wanting to play a new survival horror game and wanting to play new shiny Dreamcast games that left Code Veronica. And bought the game and became enamored with that too. Uh, I, I just, everything from the intro scene of Code Veronica to all the different gameplay mechanics... The characters, like with Albert Wesker and and Claire and Chris Redfield, uh, I think the universe in Code, the Resident Evil universe as depicted in Code Veronica was extremely compelling for me. And then I went back and played the games that came out before Code Veronica, and I've been a fan ever since. And I know a lot of people have kind of grown a little critical of Code Veronica over the past two decades, and I understand why. Um, the The American version can be a little hard for people. Um, given the way the game is designed, um, although I've never I've never been able to sympathize with that specific viewpoint because I wrote a I wrote a game fact for Code Veronica when I was thirteen. <laughs> so you know when I read people talking about the difficulties they had with the game, like my thirteen year old me is like weak, <laughs> right? You know is that is that why is that walkthrough still up? I yeah. mean, you know, game facts uh, is uh, is eternal. I, I feel yes. like when. When you know, when somehow the human race is wiped out in any number of ways, uh, uh, whether it's an asteroid or or man-made, uh, mm. game there will be a server still running game facts. Like you will <laughs> still be able to look up. Uh, I spent so much time. Like people don't know how good they have it these days with like modern game guides right. and YouTube. Right. Like, like 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 loading up, you know, these giant ASCII facts in the library and being like, yes, can I get away with printing out 127 Final Fantasy seven? Like <laughs> like. Sure. Like, I don't know if I'm gonna get. I don't know if I'm gonna get access to the computer when I get home. Right. And so I'm just gonna try and see if I can print this. So sometimes I would print out facts at like, you know, ten or twenty pages at a time, mm. like what I could get away with, and like sneak in in between other uh, like periods in, in high school and and choke up the printer with uh you know some some, some mega JRPG uh, fact that I was that I was looking up those were the days yeah um and or we could buy the guides for 15 to 20 dollars yes. right and, yes. and read and play at the same time now now people have youtube walkthroughs streaming <laughs> twitter whatever game forums reddit you know it, there's so much information that can be accessed anywhere um, in the PS5, they have you know the hint guides just built into the to the interface now. So, oh, interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, I've, yeah. Like in their in, the, in their interface, you you can you know not in a, every game is different, but frequently there are ones that are like, hey, are you having trouble with this boss? Mm. You can just watch a watch a video. Um, <laughs> it, it's interesting that you mentioned the the difficulty because one of the things that I noted in your book that I didn't realize was that the games the the game the, the Resident Evil series for some period of time was arbitrarily made more difficult um, for its releases in the in the in the West because rental games were banned in Japan until 
not, they still for, are. Like, they still are to like for the, yeah. for the most. Okay. And so, um, so for, for a period of time, these games were like, you know, the original Resident Evil was criticized by um, some Japanese game players because like, yo, why is this game so hard? And it's like, well, because we sort of like tuned it and marketed it to Western audiences and also they have rental systems. And so it was like, I just, that makes sense that, that the um, Japanese game makers in particular would be sensitive to that sort of cultural and, and market difference. But I found that like really fascinating um, that they ended up altering that in, you know, uh, re-releases of the game, like the Dual Shock version that introduced difficulty modes to accommodate um you know, Japanese audiences that were saying, hey, we would like something slightly easier, please, because we have to buy it. Mm, yeah. And and on top of rentals not being allowed, I think used game sales were still not allowed in Japan as well. So mm-hmm. once you bought the game, you know, you couldn't just trade it in for another one until maybe right. around 2001 or 2002, I think. So yeah, that's why, you know, a lot of a lot of these commercial or business decisions... You know, with the resident with the early Resident Evil games, why they were re-released as often as they were, a lot of them are just a product of the time, right? You know, now now you can easily DLC, do DLC for a game and add content that way, which has happened to most of the last few Resident Evil games but back then, right? You know, once you released a game, that was it, right? You had to go back and re-release it again if you wanted to add anything new. So yeah, it's it's really fascinating to go back and see like all the old different variations of Resident Evil. Also, like, multi, multi-platform middleware was another thing that didn't really exist in the way it does today, right? Which is why every every port of every early Resident Evil game is technically a rebuilt version for that platform, right? So... Yeah, I, I remember uh, renting the... Um the famous and maybe in some ways infamous uh, like N64 version of Resident Evil 2 because it was mm. just remarkable that it could exist at all. I believe it was Angel Studios yes. that like did that did that port. Um, and I remember renting it and being like, well, this is an even blurrier mess than I re- remember the, the original game on PlayStation. But it was just, it ha- I believe it, you know, it was just remarkable that it could run on the yeah. N64 yeah, the, at all. And I think they had some tease of something, some, some small amount of new, I, I can't remember. They like, did. Yeah. What, like new, there was something new and, in that. Um, right. And it was like, you know, at the age that I was at, I was like, well, sure. I'll play a, a, a blurrier. And did it, well, I want to say the graphics were actually sneakily? better. It's the it's the cutscenes that were blurrier because of that's the, what I okay. Yeah. I was trying to rem- my my brain was like slowly unfurling, um, the, you know, because the cutscenes were the like, some of the most uh, you know egregious in terms of taking up uh, memory. Um, right. So I'm not surprised that it wasn't. I believe that was like the biggest cart that it produced for the N64 at the time. I can feel like that might have been one of their. I think ever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think there is a bigger. There's a bigger one. I think Mega Man 64 might have used the same capacity cartridge, another Capcom mm-hmm. game. But yeah, I don't right. I don't believe a bigger cartridge ever came out, but it also came out pretty close to the end of its life cycle. So Right, right. Uh one thing I always find interesting talking to folks that are into Resident Evil is that it is not necessarily an overlap of uh liking horror in general. Um often frequently I find that folks that enjoy survival horror um uh it's something specific about the experience of, of playing it in a in a video game form or the mechanics that sort of like undergird the foundations of survival horror that are interesting to them and it doesn't necessarily overlap that they go home and you know watch a scary movie so i'm curious where like 
starting with Code Veronica, then getting interested in the franchise, did that like broaden your interest in horror as a genre, or has it stayed specific to like games and survival horror? It did not actually. In terms of horror movies, I'm not actually a big fan of the genre. Um, right. I'm not particularly susceptible to being frightened in in movies or games, but I don't actually like horror movies all that much. <laughs> it, I know it sounds strange. Um, I don't think it's strange. But, I, I, I again, like I, I will frequently talk to folks that like horror games or even watching like let's plays of horror right. games, but that there's like no crossover into, you know, books or, or movies think, or graphic novels. And so, yeah, I think I straddle the line here because I'm obviously a huge resident evil fan. And I also loved silent Hill, but those are mm-hmm. pretty much the two horror games that I really enjoyed. Um, like even Dino crisis one and two, I didn't beat those games until 2018 long after they came out. Even though they're right. fundamentally very similar to Resident Evil. So, I've never beaten a Fatal Frame game. I've never... I don't think I've ever played Siren. I tried Clock Tower once, which was alright. <laughs> but, yeah, I think I think the, the early Silent Hill games and all the Resident Evil games kind of hit the right balance of... I guess horror is the backdrop. But they have cool characters. They have fun cutscenes to watch. You know, reading files, opening doors, solving puzzles... Killing enemies is is uh, is a kind of gameplay formula that I like, and I like how those franchises present it specifically. And right. you know, insofar as Resident Evil is concerned, you know, I, I think someone like me would have had a high probability of not liking Resident Evil Four. But I love Resident Evil Four actually, in, even though that's not really a horror game, you know, very much. And I think I think for me personally, it's the Resident Evil universe that kind of sucks me in, right? Mm-hmm. And, and keeps me uh, committed to this franchise even after two decades. <laughs> and and I want to touch on that because uh, you know I think it is probably the case that your um, the way you came to so deeply fall for this franchise that led to you starting to build a collection, which then I, I would have to imagine was also part of the reason and motivation to write a book about the the history of the franchise. Where where does we all have game worlds, you know, franchises that we love, adore, you know, not all of us then go down the path of turning trying to collect everything or specific things related to it. So at what point does it go from I love Resident Evil to like I I would like a physical representation of like the Resident Evil history in 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 my home because I sh- you know for folks that are probably unaware because you've since you know spoiler gone on to start selling you know pieces of that and we'll, and we'll touch on you know how you got to that point but at some point you must have had if you know not just hundreds but probably thousands of of mm. resonate like what what was the top count you know I do would you know off the top of your say head I had three hundred more than three hundred Resident Evil games okay. from different regions of the world the U S Japan where I live. Um, mm-hmm. other Asian countries where Resident Evil games come out like Korea and Hong Kong, China, Taiwan, uh, Southeast Asian versions. I collected every UK version. Uh, I had a handful of games from, from France and Australia. I had an official non-pirated version of Resident Evil 5 on PC sold in Thailand of all places. <laughs> um, yeah, so I had a lot of stuff. You know, I bought strategy guides. I bought magazines. The thing is, when you live in Tokyo, you, you know, space comes at a premium. And sure. 
it became unsustainable for me to maintain a collection in such small living quarters. So that's why back in 2015, I read a book uh, by that, that Marie Kondo wrote. You know, she, she has mm -hmm. a Netflix series about how to keep your house tidy. And I read that book then and she, she kind of, her, her book kind of motivated me to, or pushed me down the path to realize that my passion and my fandom is not commensurate with the number of Resident Evil products that I own. Right. And, you know, now, now that I had gone through that instant gratification of buying every Resident Evil game and having a shelf with every title in it, once that moment passed and I posted the photos on social media, I realized I didn't really need it to be happy. So that's why I, I, I at one point got rid of my collection. Um, I've, I've since recollected parts of it, but in a more focused and concise manner. Uh, and, and, and in a more meaningful way as well. So I, I, I like to meet up with people who created the Resident Evil series at different points in time, you know, have conversations with them, take photos together, have them sign my games. And, and it's memories like that, which to me are a lot more meaningful, which culminates, interestingly enough, in the book that I wrote. I right. thought, you know, what better way to leave your mark on this franchise short of joining Capcom and actually working on the series for real, right? <laughs> right. Would be to write a book that, that, that becomes an informative source for people who might not be familiar with how the games are developed. Um, there are a lot of Resident Evil fans out there, and, and, and I have many friends in the community whom I respect so much, and I would say in a lot of ways they're bigger fans than I am, or I could ever hope to be. But I just think the, the unique thing that I can offer is that I live in Japan, I work in the game industry, and I speak Japanese fluently. Interestingly enough, because I was so interested in games when I was young, that's why I wanted to study Japanese and, and, and come sure. visit. You know, it's similar to, I'm sure, a lot of the friends that we have here in Japan you know, have very similar stories. But I, I guess through a combination of perseverance and a little bit of luck, um, I, I managed to uh, establish, establish myself here firmly and become conversant in the language at a high deg higher degree than 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 most uh Japanese learners uh become so i thought i should take that knowledge and take my connections in the resident evil development community and and find out what their stories were and and how they felt making resident evil games because you know there, there's a lot of information out there and i don't think my book um is the end all be all in terms of like every single resident evil factoid to have ever you know, existed, right? But I do, I do think that, <laughs> right. Insofar as the approach of trying to tell a story is concerned, I think, you know, this book may hopefully. I don't know if you agree. I don't know if you even like the book or not. Uh, but <laughs> no, I would. No, I did. No, I, I yeah, would. No, it, <laughs> I would hope it's groundbreaking to some extent. Well, I, yeah. I think it's it's uh, you know it does a good job. I think of sort of bringing together you know, existing information from, you know, interviews, you know, you're pulling from, you know, a lot of interviews with, you know, Kamiya and Mikami and a lot of folks who have been talking about this franchise for decades while also, you know, weaving that in with your your own work and your own conversations with, with folks. And I think it is like a really good, especially for, I think, a lot of folks now who, you know, maybe they, people come in at Resident Evil at different entry points, right? Like, you know, I was, you know, fortunate enough to be at an age where I could come in on the ground floor and I've, I've seen this franchise go through some really high highs and some really low lows. Uh, every, I think everyone's estimation of where those highs are, where those lows are, are, are different, mm -hmm. which is, I think, in some ways influenced by where you come in. But, you know, these entry points of Resident Evil 1 and 2, 
and then, you know, the gap to four and then, you know, like a, you know, five and six, you know, or, uh, you know, like there's just different ways that people have come in. And so to have this book that especially if you haven't had a chance to go back and revisit those games, maybe you've only seen them as a let's play. And again, it's like it's all those little factoids about, uh, you know, the the relationship with, you know, the rental market, with the, um, you know, the fact that Capcom was in financial dire straits while Resident Evil was was made. You know, I think even people... You know, I, I knew about the Sweet Home connection, um, but, you know, didn't quite realize, like, how much of a passion project it was to have a spiritual successor to that and having that drive the, like, the origin story of of Resident Evil. Or even just the, you know, the, the fact that this franchise consistently is sort of used as a, at least maybe more so early on, used as an avenue to have younger folks at Capcom like, hey, like, take a swing here, um, and if you hit it, you know, you're kind of going to be set, you know? It's like, you know, Mikami was was set after after that, you know, Kamiya, after his stumbles in, in, in Resident Evil 2 or 1.5, I suppose, like, was set, you know? Like, that. there is a history of this franchise, like, setting up, like, a lot of mm. um, now legendary uh, game designers that have gone on to do all sorts of different things. Um, yeah, part of this book was written... I would say, you know, in retrospect, I didn't I don't know if I realized this at the time when I started to write the book in 2017, but I had felt that a lot of the, the main creators of the Resident Evil franchise had perpetually underappreciated their own contributions to the games that they made. And right. I think this is partly a cultural thing because um you know the Japanese Japanese people tend to be very humble in terms of how they express themselves. Right. And talking highly of yourself is not super common here. Um, and I feel like De decades of interviewing Japanese game designers at places like E3 has certainly taught me that it is extremely difficult to get them to, yes. you know, like, <laughs> to, were... to, talk, to talk about themselves and the things they do in a game. You basically, if you can get a, a question that almost tricks them into saying something um, introspective, it's like, I nailed it. Like, I, I found a way to get them to do it. Yeah. Um... <laughs> And it's a cultural thing um, for, right. for for people to do that here, and and I understand why, right? I think I think sure. humble being humble is a very important part of, of of maintaining good relationships here. But I felt like a lot of the interview dynamics that I had going in was me re-educating or informing them about how impactful their games were, because you know the the default stance is it was my job, so I did it. <laughs> or, you know, as a director, I don't, you know, I, I see all the blemishes in the product that I wasn't able to fix. And I feel very regretful about that. That's, that was another very common stance people had. Another one was, you know, do people really still care about Resident Evil Zero or Resident Evil Code Veronica? It's been 20, 15, 20 years. You know, move on, people. And, you know, the, I know you haven't gotten to this part of the book yet. Um, it's not a huge spoiler, but like... I remember telling Mikami-san, you know, your Resident Evil 4 was such a groundbreaking experience that shook the industry. And his his response was, yeah, but Okami was better. <laughs> and then, you know, it's like, okay, I mean... Okami was a good game. <laughs> uh, but, in, but in terms of, you know, cultural design influence, I mean, it's, 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 it's quite literally impossible to imagine... The modern action game without survival horror elements Resident aside, uh, is, 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 is really deeply rooted in a Resident Evil 
four. Absolutely. Um, you know, like it's like you just can't like, like, like so so Gears of War, like so many mm. games are just like can be just traced back to a bunch of people playing Resident Evil 4 and going, mm. holy shit, uh this is just a new type of video game, really. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I, I know Mikami-san knows, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to ever tell him something like that. But his, his reaction did crack me up because it's, it's, the ultimate, it's the ultimate form of humbleness, right? You know, especially knowing that Okami was made by somebody that he trained himself, right? So he's right. like, still, you know, he still has this habit of passing on the mantle to other people. And trying to divert the attention away from him, from himself, right? So, yeah, I, I really hope that, you know, when you finish reading the book, you know, you tell me how you feel about it, you know, if it was informative for you or I'm still, yeah. I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to, how I'm going to approach the, the next volume. Sure. I want to do it, but given that most of the people who worked on every Resident Evil after four are still at Capcom and it, it's a little <laughs> harder to do something like this. Right, you know, with, with while looping in the company officially, right? Because it yeah. changes the dynamic, and and I think, you know, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about the book, so I will say that you know, it, the, I guess the book turned out as well as it did because it was an independent project, and that it wasn't you know beholden to any you know PR or corporate. Or was it tied to the marketing cycle of a of a new game? Right. And, and also, I th- I think it, you you know you you know in the book itself it. Uh, one of its great advantages is like the fact that it can be in hindsight, right? It, it is not necessarily in the moment. It is looking back and not just seeing um, the thing as it is when it's out, but like what was the impact and like what, what, you know, the, the, what, how did the culture respond to it? Cause I think that's like so cr- critical to, mm. you know, not only just Capcom's history, but Resident Evil in general is the way like it became a cultural phenomenon um and 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 that those wider impacts and so um i think the one that the, the chat one of the chapters i finished uh last night that really stood out that kind of speaks to your sort of like this humble nature of a lot of the folks that worked on this series was that you know the, the chapter about resident evil 3 mm. um you know in which like <laughs> just I, you have to refresh my memory but who is the the director on that one kazuhiro aoyama yeah and he just seemed just at tripping over himself to be like, I really wish that this had been bigger <laughs> and better and we had more time. Like, you know, years later, so far removed from Capcom, never worked on a Resident Evil game, you know, after that, you know, was off doing different things. And yet still, like their primary memory, like so many of your like most interesting quotes about the history of that game is, I, I wish we could have done more. Like, I'm sorry that this was labeled Resident <laughs> Evil 3. The, comp- the the company made me do it. Um yeah. and and this like burden that knowing that a number means something and that the game was designed as a spin-off. Mm. It was never supposed to have the burden of a 3 and mm. knowing that Resident Evil 4 was off, you know, years in the making was going to be the big new reinvention of Resident Evil. I think it was just it, it was a fascinating illustration of a um, a game that has a lot of, you know, love from the, the Resident Evil uh, fans, but I think is one that, like, I skipped when I was younger because even, you know, I read the reviews and it was kind of like, ah, you know, it's fine. You know, you don't necessarily need to play this one if you've got other things on your plate. And so I just kind of went around it at at the time and really didn't revisit it or revisit it at all until, 
you know, the most recent um, remake that, that Capcom did. Um, but then it's just an interesting perspective from the folks that worked on it to still look back on yeah. those those games, despite RE3 having, as you noted in the chapter, enormous, like, you know, the, the rise of Jill Valentine as a, a cultural icon in games can be deeply rooted in, you know, her being the star of that game, like, you know, ne- you know nemesis. nemesis, like all, all these, all these sorts of things that I think people take for granted that even if they didn't play Resident Evil 3, like only exist as, as heightened as they are because, you know, this, this spinoff was, was then turned into, you know, an official mainline yeah. game. I mean, we're feeling the effects of, of all the decision making from back in the day, even now in 2020, 2021, because Resident Evil 3 was remade, but there's no Code Veronica remake on the horizon, you know, based on right. based on the rumors that are out there. And, you know, apparently they're going on to number four, which, you know, to almost any Resident Evil fan makes no sense, right? Because Code Veronica is a very important entry in the franchise from a from a plot perspective. Right. Might not have a number, might not have a fancy, shiny little number, but <laughs> it's it's extremely important. And to skip it will... Like I've I've even told people at Capcom this like directly. I told them, you know, if 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 the rumors have any validity to them, you know, be be prepared for all those hard questions about Code Veronica that are going to come up. It, stri- yeah. it strikes me though that um, if you look at how they've approached the remake so far, like RE2 was interesting because they allowed themselves to reimagine and expand parts of that that game. Um, because it did need a little more. If they were to revisit Resident Evil One again, like you, you couldn't just like like the the mansion as it stands is not gonna probably cut it for the, like the modern like game player. There would have to be quite a bit added to 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 flesh out that into a to a fuller experience. Um, and RE Three, I think part of what they ran into was difficulties in the box they were already in of that of that design and and. I think that's sort of the stumbling blocks that I had with with that remake. And I think Code Veronica specifically would probably require sort of like a deep dive, like rethinking of like the structure. Like I it just part of the reason I feel like they haven't done it yet is because it it would require it would, I think that more than almost any of the games they've done so far, even RE4, like how they can add to it, all of it like kind of makes sense. Like it won't it won't be like a big leap for me to understand like the ways they expand and, and tweak that game. It already has such a really good foundation that uh, it's just easy to see the path. Whereas I feel like Code Veronica requ- like will require such a reworking in order to to get there. Maybe that's my own sort of like how I look back on Code Veronica, but I do feel like that, yeah. is, that is part of its issue. I mean, is that, you know, that's, I don't know that you can do just a straight remake of that without um, doing some heavy lifting. But also I think that's because it doesn't have the same nostalgia burden mm-hmm. that a lot of the other games do that they can get away with changing significant parts of Code Veronica. And I don't know that the fan base is going to be like, have the pitchforks out for it in the, in the same way. I think Resident Evil 2 proved that you can change things and be very smart about it. Right. Resident Evil 3 proved that you can change everything in, in a very <laughs> unappealing way. I know you said you didn't play the original Resident Evil 3, but um, right. the remake is very dissimilar in, in just about every way manageable. And right. that that's why a lot of the fan base was dissatisfied with it because, you know, it was the third Resident Evil game in three years. The previous two were seven and two remake were very groundbreaking in their own ways and satisfied different uh, different types of Resident Evil fans, right? Whether it was VR or you know the Mister X dynamic, 
right? Resident Evil 3 just kind of comes along not too long after the previous games. And the original version was unique in its own regard and had a few different features that set it apart from the Resident Evil games that came before and after it. But the remake got rid of all that and then went with something extremely linear. They took out all the different endings that they had in the original. They took out all the reasons to replay the original eight different times or eight or nine different times. And, you know, it was really baffling that that they went with that kind of approach. It was also shockingly even shorter than the original game, which 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 <laughs> right. says a lot, you know, considering they had two decades to figure out how to make it a more appealing value value proposition. <laughs> you know, so that's and, and, that, and that being like consistently like the thing that was in your own chapter of the book is like, I'm sorry it was so short. I'm sorry it was so short. We tried yes. all these different ways to make it yes. longer. Like that's. Part of the reason that they had sort of an arcade feel yeah. was, oh, we'll give people a reason to play it, you know, you know, yeah. nearly a dozen times because we are cognizant of the fact that it is shorter. Arcade it wasn't style. meant to be an actual proper three. And so, like, they tried to find ways to to get it in that direction. And I think we're, like, largely mm. successful, especially I think three is, a you know, the original is a game that directly, you know, appealed to the most hardcore fans of of the franchise. Mm. And, and, you know, I think that's why for whatever its deficiencies from a production standpoint and for the people it are, you know, when it was released, I, I think it was uh, fairly well liked and, and appreciated for having right. those aspects. And like uh, frequently, I think a lot of the things in that they pioneered in three would, you know, would go on to influence a lot of the replayability aspects that now, you know, you see in a game like village, right. you know, I think, you know, you know like th- that is something that has become, you know, a part and parcel with Resident Evil is, oh, you don't just play it once. I mean, I do, but like, like for lots of people, like it's a game they're going to play five or six times. And the replayability things that are incorporated in Village are super cool. Um, Like I'm just really smart and like, oh, a long history to, you know, games like Resident Evil, you know, two and three and the different re-releases they went through mm. trying to find ways to get people to want to play it again. Yeah, and so I would say if Code Veronica followed the RE2 approach of changing things where they should be changed, but keeping the general flavor of the game, I think it would be an amazing game. You know, I think I think of the four Resident Evil games that have come out in the last few years, 7, 2, 3, and Village, you know, I it 2, two is kind of an interesting... It's the people's Resident Evil, in my opinion. Right, you know, it's got enough horror. It's got enough scary elements for horror fans to like it. It's not so slow or deliberate that people who hate the slow type of horror that Resident Evil Seven was can't, right. you know, can't get into it. Right. Whereas Seven, th- Seven and Three kind of veer, you know, one one veers in the horror direction so far, right, that it might put off action fans, the people who like Resident Evil Four, Five, and even Six. Whereas Resident Evil 3 is so action-focused that the people who like Resident Evil for the atmosphere and the horror and the non-linearity, you know, if I may add, will probably be turned off from 3. But 2, and I guess Village as well to an extent, but I would say 2 mm-hmm. is even better in striking the right balance. And I think, you know, obviously RE4 Remake can't, can't hit that beat, right? And, you know, they could remake Resident Evil 1 or Resident Evil 0, but... You know, it. I don't see a great re- reason to skip Code Veronica. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um. One as we we wind this conversation to a close, I think. Uh, I think you bring up a good point that maybe can l- kind of let us pivot and talk a little bit about the the future 
or potential future of the franchise. I think you make an interesting observation in which, you know, Resident Evil 1, you know, by far like the most uh, horror-oriented, scariest, I think, of those early entries on purpose. Um, You know, RE7, which Capcom frequently billed as, you know, hey, internally we talked about if we were to, you know, in some ways RE7 is a remake of Resident Evil 1, just without using the existing structure. Like the house is basically the mansion. And they're there. There's the DNA between those two games is uh, is there's a huge overlap um, without all the burden of like having to actually recreate the Spencer Mansion and, and doing all that stuff. And I think it's interesting then to see in Resident Evil Village, um, it's it, it is so very clearly a reaction to some of the feedback of RE7, where as a horror fan who loves being scared, RE7, w- w- I mean, truly was a dream come true. It was like. And playing it in VR, I think, is a transformative experience. It fundamentally makes it, I, I think, borderline unplayable to certain, you know, audiences yeah. because I think it is it is that scary and and immersive. Um, which again, I loved, but I I certainly was sympathetic to folks who found it overbearing. Never made it to the second half of the game where it loosens up a little bit mm. and kind of slips into a little more traditional. You've got too many bullets, too much <laughs> healing, and like you'll be fine. It's a lot more shooting. Um, And, you know, Village, you know, is definitely feels like RE2 in that respect. I don't, you know, I don't think certainly hits the same highs, but is going for how do we mismatch all of these tones together Mm. um, in a way that satisfies like the large constituency that Resident Evil ultimately has, which is talked as a horror game that really appeals to, you know, action fans and like, you know, just a a lot of different audiences that you can't just pigeonhole as I like to be scared. And so... It makes me so curious where they'll end up in, you know, the I guess the what has been kind of like rumored to be the conclusion of a trilogy of these first person games that are alongside the same track as these these remakes. So I'm curious, you know, as someone that has chronicled the history of this series, has has played, you know, so many of them so many times, like where do you think they go? What is the future of Resident Evil? It's in some ways, uh, I think, according to the sales of Village. Um, as big as it's ever been. Mm-hmm. So it's clearly not going away anytime soon. So yeah, where do you think the, the next 10 years, where, where do you think Resident Evil goes? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I do think that Resident Evil is very seasonal. And I think we just happen to be in the second half of a of a, I guess, the trough would be the lower end, right? And Let's, yeah, we're at the height of the wave, right? It feels I've been like, in Japan village. so yeah. long, I'm, my English is getting worse. <laughs> um, we're, you were, we seem to be, yeah, at the top of a wave. And I think inevitably it's going to come back down, you know, as, you know, I think even RE3 was kind of evidence that that could still happen. Uh, but I do, think, right. I do think that Capcom is aware of how important the quality of the Resident Evil franchise is and is important and, and, and is aware of the importance of trying to satisfy different types of fans because they're you know for such a specific kind of game horror game right horror action zombie shooting the 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 appeal of resident evil is as you said quite expansive you know it's kind of like the only other franchise i can think of that really has this issue is like the mario franchise you know do you make 2d games 3d games or if you make a 3D game, do you make it sandbox or you know 3D world, 3D land? How, ch- how challenging is it? How much how and, much platforming is there? Do you do you section yeah. off the platforming to to secret levels, right? So that people like like me can have the added challenge, totally. but other people can just avoid it entirely. Totally. And and I think with Resident Evil, 
Capcom should definitely do what do what they've been doing. Have you know two tracks of Resident Evil games where they have one that's very action focused, and apparently this this remake of four might be that game, the next game in that in that style. But I do think they should also keep that horror focus, you know, whether it's third person or first person. Um, and I think that's probably the way they can keep things fresh. But I do think, you know, you know, with the game industry the way it is, um, you know, nothing happens in the bubble. And I do think Capcom may one day be confronted with with the fact that people will want open world games. People will want very large worlds in their games. And I have to wonder if if the Resident Evil franchise can fit within that mold. Um, it, it's been, I guess, technologically very difficult to achieve that up until now. But, you know, with the Xbox Series X and the PS5, you know, and all these new graphics cards, I do have to wonder what an open world, expansive, like like a real Raccoon City where you can go anywhere, right? Not just right in the in the predetermined path. You know, I think... That's what I would like to see in the next five to ten years. You know, even if it doesn't turn out good because it's the first time they're trying that, uh, I I would like to see them at least make the effort so we know what it's like, right? And I think I think that's probably going to be the most exciting potential Resident Evil game we might see in the next few years. The other thing, you know, like my personal wish as well, maybe they can go back to the fixed cameras and try making something new with that. You know, it's been two decades. You know, even even with with such lukewarm feedback, Resident Evil Zero HD sold like three million copies. I feel like a new game would do <laughs> right. better than that if it was good. You know, so I, I think if I think if they pitched it the right way, which is this is not Resident Evil Nine, Nine or this, you know, this is hey, we're trying something smaller scale. That's a that's a throwback. I think there's probably even a way they can do like kind of a mixture of both. Mm. Where it's like re re two really got away from that um but there's probably a way they can find a, a mixture of like giving player agency over the camera which is just sort of an expectation at this point and finding some way to and to kind of bring this you know this this conversation full circle part of what's been such a joy in revisiting the remake is you can see the handcrafted nature of the camera angles and that when you like come through a door and they've set up this close shot of we're playing playing through Jill because I wanted to be nice to my colleague and was like, look, she gets two extra inventory slots and the game, you've never played these games before. Like it's hard enough as it is. So like, just let's, let's keep those slots. <laughs> but you know, you get these, these, these sections where, you know, there's just a, an extreme close up of Jill's face um, specifically. So they can have the lighting from a window come in and like crack with the, the thunder and the lightning. It's like, you just can't, you can achieve something similar in in modern games where the player can control the camera, but not not to the same specificity. Mm. And there's something lost in that that I, I agree with you would be very cool if they could find some way to to get a mixture of those two things back together again. Even if it was just a smaller scale, like shorter adventure mm. that was, you know, in some some side story. You know, the world's big enough that they can right. accommodate whatever whatever they like to do these days. Um I, I agree that would be would be cool. Um I guess the last question I would I would leave you on is, you know, you'd mentioned you're uh, kind of crawling back into certain things that you like to collect. What's the one that means the most to you? Like, what's the one that speaks the the most to what this franchise means to you that you've that you've collected so far? Like a specific game or just anything, any product? Yeah, any yeah, and yeah, any, like anything that kind of like fits within that 
that umbrella. So I don't have it with me because my friend at Capcom actually has it right now. But um, I, <laughs> okay. uh, I mean, I don't know if you look at my Twitter or my Instagram, but I have this vinyl print from the Resident Evil 20th anniversary back in 2016. And, oh man, it's better if I had a photo, but it's signed by a vast majority of the the directors and producers of various Resident Evil games. So their signatures are all over it. Mikami's on there. Oh, wow. Kamiya's on there. Um, Yoshiki Okamoto's on there, I think. Um, like a bunch of people, both past and present, have signed that. Right, and and it 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 even has a serial number because there I think they only made like a hundred of these back in 2016. That's the item. Like I would give up everything else (laughs) in my collection if it meant not losing that because (laughs) you know that that's just you know special. And I don't think there will there I don't think there's anything else on this planet that has been touched by every director and producer of the Resident Evil franchise. Right, you know it's it I, I mean it's probably hard to imagine what it looks like but it it's it's the shinkiro art um mm-hmm. of like all the various resident evil characters there's like chris jill leon claire rebecca i think hunks on there ada's on there and and their signatures are slathered all over it <laughs> so that's like my own personal treasure um uh, of a product um behind me is my shelf i don't know if this video is going up uh but yeah I lined up my Resident Evil shelf. Oh, it's blurry, huh? I should probably unblur it. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. It'll just be audio, but you can just describe it to me. But I, if you unblur it, then I can see it. Yes. <laughs> ah, there we go. Yeah, so I, I've decorated the shelf as if we were at a book-off. You've been to Japan before, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you've probably been to a book-off. You see how they, they organize their shelves. You know, they have some of the ones facing forward, and they have the other ones facing spine out. <laughs> and... Right. Yeah, I, this is a recent recollecting of of the games that I had sold from way back in the day. I even managed to find a sealed copy of Biohazard One, wow. which cost me four hundred dollars. But you know, I <laughs> but hey, that's the original. It's the original, and it's not as bad as U.S. game prices. Or what I was going to say, yeah, considering yeah. considering uh, the the obnoxious uh, Super Mario sixty four. Yes. as we're as we're recording the the one point two million sale that doesn't. <laughs> Make a lot of sense I, to me. I, uh, I, people have too much money. I remember like being at a Target in in 2002 because I'm I'm originally from the U.S. being being at a Target uh-huh. in 2002, seeing Super Mario 64, the Player's Choice version, brand new behind the display <laughs> case, for 39.99, and I was like, the N64 is old news. Why is this game still forty dollars? <laughs> right, and <laughs> that's the that's the Nintendo way, though. Yeah. Um, uh, is that, <laughs> now I get why that, why why they did yeah. that, but it, it just in hindsight, it makes that that fleeting thought very naive. <laughs> right. I know. I know. I know. Um, well, at this point in the podcast, I you know what? Where can people follow you? What are you up to? What would you like to promote uh, about about your work and what you're what you're getting up to? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my username is cvxfreak, um, and you know that that's where I'm most active. People might be fans or customers of limited run games, where I I, I head the Japan the, the Tokyo office, uh, and yeah, limited run does a lot of great stuff, publishing games physically as well. So. It's a good, good, good thing to check out if you don't know about it. The other company that I work for is Brave Wave Productions. We do a lot of game music, game vinyl related things. Of course, I did my Resident Evil book as well. 
Uh, and if, if you haven't picked up a copy of Itchy and Tasty, Itchy Tasty, excuse me, uh, the you can order it on Amazon and it'll start shipping on July 21st. Uh, everyone else who's gotten there has either bought it in the UK or backed it on 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 the the crowdfunding website. It's also out cool. on Kindle now. Uh, is um is is uh CVX Freak? Is that Code Veronica? Is that the yes? Reference? Okay, all right. Just making it's sure. Not, I got it. It's quite, not Castlevania. You know, I, it's <laughs> yeah. It's not a car model. Well, you you uh, you, you, uh, you and I like have an overlap in which we have a lot of mutual friends. You know, I've known John Riccardi since I was a kid, and also I know that you were you know uh, frequented the the NeoGAF forums mm-hmm. for for many years. So yeah. I'm familiar with your your username uh, with my my time spent, <laughs> spent there. Yeah, yeah, it's very strange that somehow this is the the first instance that we're. Like uh, actually properly interacting because we have an, an enormous amount of internet overlap no, yeah, over, yeah, over the decades. Yeah. This was exciting, <laughs> so I'm glad we finally had the chance to to chit chat. Absolutely. Well, we'll have to do it again. But uh, Alexander, uh, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. You have a great day. All right. Take care, everyone. Yeah, you too. Thank you. All right. All right. Bye bye.